0: You're listening to RTI Audio, powered by Rocky Top Insider. This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler and Ryan Shumpert.
1: Welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler. Joined to my right, that is Ryan Shumpert. And joined with us across the table, that is Jack Foster. We got a full crew in studio today. It feels good, unlike the weather outside. Man, the weather has been wild. It's been all over the place. By all over the place, I mean it's been gray. It has been one color. It has been monotone. The rest of the world, or the rest of the country, is dealing with ice and snow. That's not necessarily something that... Uh, Knoxvillians, Knoxvillians, yeah. is that it? Yeah, I think
2: that's right. That works. Yeah, over in your neck of the woods, Rick. I Knox- heard a lot of people Vili- getting stuck in
0: Dallas. Knoxvillians, yeah. is that right, though? Is that what it's supposed to be? I mean, I don't really <laughs> think it's a common used term, but I, I think that Knoxvillites, no, I think Knoxvillians is, I think Knoxvillians is the more accurate the right one. one, too. Anyways. People are
1: people are dealing with it though all over the country. Knoxvilleans though, that's what I'm gonna go with. It's kind of got a nice ring to it. Uh, not so much. We're just kind of dealing with a little cold, little rain here and there, but really just a lot of gray skies. But either way, man, there is still a whole lot of things to talk about on the sports side of things. As always, we're gonna be breaking down the latest around Tennessee basketball and Tennessee football today here on the Press Pass. You got all three of us in studio. Ryan, I'll start with you. Good afternoon, my friend.
0: What's going on? Not much. Not much. I'm just. Uh the weather is what what's on my mind as well. I'm I'm hoping we'll see the sun at some point this month. Maybe I'm taking wagers on it, even odds I think. Uh, so maybe doing well. Besides that, and ready to talk a little Tennessee football recruiting, a little Tennessee basketball.
2: Jack Foster in the house. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Um, all things considered, yeah, it's it's been brutal walking to class. You know the, the cold and the rain. It's Ugh. just way too ugly for my oh. liking. But at least we're not in Dallas. You know because some people actually were stuck in Dallas over the last. Week or so, so it could be worse, and I, you know, I I find happiness in that.
1: I watched a video this morning of my friend back in Dallas slipping from his ring camera, just
0: (laughs) walking out of his house. Ring, he he bit the dust. Ring Ring cameras have really—I mean, I don't think when the sales pitch uh, for ring (laughs) cameras was ever get to watch your loved one slip and fall outside in icy weather, but it's a great—it's a great addition to it because I feel like I see multiple of them on Twitter. Every week when we get into the winter,
1: yeah, I do too. It's uh, it's watching somebody fall on ice is one of the most universally funny things out there. Obviously, you know you don't want anybody to break a break an arm or break a hand or something, but it it is it's got to be one of the the most universally funny things out there, right? Anybody can laugh.
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: A lot to get into today. We're going to be starting off with a little bit of Tennessee basketball conversation after a big week here, um, relating around the team. And then we're going to move into a little bit of football talk. Yesterday, Wednesday, uh, February 1st, was the start of the regular kind of national signing period, which makes Wednesday National Signing Day. That is coming on. We'll talk about where kind of why Tennessee was quiet on that day and where they stand in the rankings, especially compared to other SEC teams in the rankings, but just kind of how Tennessee's 2023 recruiting class is kind of wrapping up uh, as this season comes to an end. All the guys for Tennessee are signed right now. So the, the guys who are going to be adding on to Tennessee's teams, besides kind of the preferred walk-ons, they are here. Most of them are already enrolled. So we'll get into all of that here coming up in the second half of the show. You can jump on ahead to there if you would like to. But let's talk about a little basketball on the, on the, <laughs> on, on the first stop of this, uh, of this path here. Man, a crazy week for Tennessee basketball. You start out, you go back to last Saturday, a top 10 environment. Right here in in Knoxville, college game day was here. A lot went into this game, and Tennessee impressed. They they were really impressive as they got the eleven point win over number ten Texas. And that eleven point win, honestly, I, I don't even think was indicative of really where that game was for the entirety of it. Maybe until the last kind of couple minutes of that game, Tennessee dominated. It, it was a great game. But then you come back last night, which was Wednesday night. Excuse me, you go to Florida. Tennessee drops one to the unranked Gators on the road. So certainly a lot of up and down. But let's kind of go back to the weekend, though. Let's start there before we get into, I think, what will probably be a little bit more of the conversation after the loss. Ryan, I'll go start with you. What stood out to you the most about just this Texas win uh, that Texas had back in Knoxville?
0: Well, like you said, really, it was. I think it was a dominant middle 20 minutes. It was pretty close the first 10 minutes, and then, excuse me, I think Tennessee got a little sloppy there in the last 10 minutes, and Texas was able to pull uh, what was, I think, topped out at about a 20-point lead back slightly north of 10, but at the same time, even though Texas was able to do that, it never really felt like they really threatened, and the lead never got to single digits. Anytime it got down to 10-11, it seemed like Tennessee had an answer with a big basket. Now there were some uncharacteristic mistakes, uh, really more defensively, also some turnovers down the stretch, but that's you know, that's basketball for you. So uh, a really, really good performance uh, against a really good Texas team. And I think what stood out and was kind of in opposition to what we saw against Florida last night was Tennessee, they made six threes in this game, and they were phenomenal offensively. Mm -hmm. Maybe the best offense game they've had all year. A lot of that, the majority of that goes into what Olivier Camelot gave Tennessee, scoring a career high, 27 points on an incredibly efficient 12 of 15 shooting from the field. Zakai Ziegler was also really good with 22 points, made – Four, uh, really, all four of his baskets from two point range in that game. So he Ziegler was able to get to the basket. Camwa was able to score inside. And really, in a game where Tennessee they didn't shoot it poor from the perimeter, they six and nineteen, thirty-two percent. I think that's slightly under their, their average on the season. They're right above thirty-four yeah. percent on on the year. But in a game where, if you had told me Tennessee made six threes against a really quality opponent like Texas, I would have been hard pressed to see them scoring eighty-two points, and they did that. And I think that's. A look at what Tennessee's offense is at its best.
1: Yeah, I I agree, and it's kind of weird going back to the Texas game, just again with the Florida game so fresh in the mindset, but I thought the two most impressive aspects of that Texas game to me uh, was, Ryan, you already touched on one of them with just Kamwa's performance, and man, his ability to space himself around the court for that game, his patience on the offensive side of the ball, that was really impressive to me, and I really felt like that had such a strong impact for Tennessee. And then the other impactful spot was Zakai Ziegler and just his continued dominance right there through the SEC portion of the schedule, which I know Texas was not an SEC team, But it was right there in the middle of SEC play, so you can kind of just see how his trend continued to go upwards. Jack, what did you think about this Texas game uh, from just about a week ago?
2: Yeah, very complete performance from Tennessee's offense, and as Ryan said, this 11-point victory, and as you said, Rick, too, it really wasn't that close. Um, I really thought the game was over when Santiago Vescovy splashed that three to go up. I think it was over 20 at that point. It put him up over 20, and, you know, the crowd just went crazy. At that point, I'm like, there's no way Texas is going to be able to come back, even though Tennessee played really sloppily. 22. 22 points, Uh, yeah. So even though Tennessee played really sloppily there at the end. But, yeah, another great Zakai Ziegler performance at this moment in time, his third double-double of January. So he continued that incredible stretch, and it's the Olivier-Kamala game. I mean, this will be referred to that this season. His career high total, 27 points there. So, this is as, this is what Tennessee's offense can be. We know what their defense can be. We saw what their offense can be.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. When you look at you know the success that Tennessee had in that Texas game, you can see that hey, that that is a great spot for Tennessee to be in when the offense is clicking. That is how the that's how a lot of this production is going to come. Yes, we did not see the you know the the perimeter shot necessarily in that game. But we did see that when Tennessee was going to be successful against Texas, it was with a very balanced offense. You look just down and up the scoreboard for Tennessee, and you see a lot of balance from from you know the, really the the four out of the starting five. Julian Phillips did not have a great game, but Kamov, Vescovy, Ziegler, and James all doing pretty good in their roles on the court. That was impressive. But then you kind of fast forward the script a little bit to Wednesday night and really, in a lot of ways, a a completely different team than we saw against Texas.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was an absolute dud of a performance. And some of that, you know, I think the offense is to be expected going on the road. I I believe Florida is number eight in adjusted defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm, which is interesting because Todd Golden, the first-year coach, came from San Francisco. He's a guy known for really good offense and pretty average defense, and it's kind of the reverse this year, and I think you have to give – him a lot of credit uh, for adapting to what he has on his team, and obviously he brought in some guys in the transfer portal and all that to build his roster, but he is changing the way he plays to to better suit his players, and that's kind of beside the subject, but credit to them. I think that's a, a sign of a good coach, and Tennessee really just struggled. They struggled to shoot from the perimeter, 5-25 of 25 from three, granted they I don't know how many guys you think four or five threes in that last two minutes. Yeah, they, they were, were just fire, them up, just firing them yeah. up when they were down by you know double digits. So that's a little bit worse than probably it truly was, but they couldn't make shots from the perimeter and they didn't get that interior scoring. Olivier Camlois, uh four of thirteen shooting wasn't very good. Some ugly shots from him and Jonas to both around the rim, and then this guy Ziegler, who really I think is probably their best option to getting well, definitely their best option to getting to the basket and. It wasn't a great matchup for him because Colin Castleton is, from my judgment, the best interior defender in the SEC, and really he's, he parked himself. I mean, Rick Barnes said it, He was yeah. a one-man zone under the basket. He parked himself at the basket, and he was going to force Tennessee to shoot – or really Ziegler to shoot jump shots uh, off of the pick-and-roll in the mid range. I thought Ziegler missed a couple early, and I don't know if his confidence was shaken, but he kind of turned down some shots I think he needed to take, and uh, really it was – in that way, kind of a bad matchup for Tennessee, and the Vols really didn't overcome it.
1: And that was, to me, that was the biggest takeaway, is that not only, Tennessee did not start the game well at all. Uh, they came out slow, came out a little bit sloppy. Florida jumped out to a 17-4 to run, which Florida did, was playing great offense and, and red-hot offense for that first little stretch, and then they certainly cooled off afterwards with only twenty one, uh, excuse me, 27 points in the first half.
0: Yeah, I was just gonna say on on that you mentioned the start, and you're right 7 seven fourteen to start. One thing that really struck out to me: Tennessee gets behind ten to four. Okay, they're not or they're not playing well early, and Rick Barnes basically just yanks a, a bunch of his starters. Uh huh. He he can't do that with the starting lineup. They're starting right now. The starting lineup they could start a few weeks ago. They could because they had multiple really good players come off the bench. Sure. But to me, in a game where they were down ten four. You put, and you can't score. You're putting Euros Plaschke yes. and Jemiah Meshack on the court at the same time. You're just digging yourself a bigger hole. And just like that, With, boom! It, it's 17 to 4, and you're on the road. And yeah, what really wasn't a hostile environment last night, but typically a hard place to play. And you go from down six. Your starters aren't playing well. You're mad at them. You pull them. Boom! You're down 13. That's just a, a massive hole to try to dig out of. And we saw Tennessee was able to do it at Mississippi State, but uh,
2: right. And, I mean, that 13 points was the difference. Yeah. If you look at it, you, they how that game started at 17-4, how it ended sixty seven fifty four. 67-54. Those 13 points were the difference. So, in uh, th- this game, the biggest takeaway I have from it, and it's kind of like uh, it, it's showing what the Vols kryptonite is, right? A big who can score and play good defense, which yeah. is Colin Castleton. If you Remember last year against Michigan, Hunter Dickinson yeah. was on a tear, you know, on offense, and that was the reason Tennessee was not able to win that game. But you made a good point in our chat last night, Ryan, that a lot of people say, well, scoring bigs is where Tennessee struggles. But also, you know, bigs with great defense can be where Tennessee struggles as well.
0: Yeah, you're right. And, I mean, you look at it, Dickinson's not a big that's very good defensively. And Tennessee's offense was pretty good. You know, even though they couldn't make a shot in that game. Yeah, KC had a great game. Kennedy Chandler, they just attacked Hunter Dickinson over and over again on the pick and roll. and. Uh, eventually, Michigan had to go zone, which was a great move by Jawan Howard. And, and Tennessee, they made Tennessee hit jump shots, and Tennessee couldn't, and they lost that game. But when you add that big man that's really good defensively, and Tennessee's shots don't fall, it, it makes it so much harder for him to score in the basket because the lack of consistency from really any of those big men.
1: Yeah, and you could see yesterday where Florida's guards were, were giving Tennessee's guards just a, a world of trouble up there at the top. They're playing tight to him. They're playing up up front to him. And then you're right when when Tennessee's guards would would be able to get around him and start to drive into the basket, there you have Colin Castleton in the middle of the paint right there to kinda of slow them down. So I, I thought that Florida just did bring a, a good a good defensive game plan to to stifle Tennessee's offense and, and that's kind of what it what it ended up being with just the way that the game shook out. But it was a weird game in the sense that, yeah, Tennessee did get down by a 13-point deficit early in the game. They fought back a little bit throughout. They, they fought back throughout the first half. There you go. In the second half, they even took back the lead a couple times. But then you get to the end of the game. and the final, I, I want to say, was it 10-40? 10-40, something like that. It was like no, a 20. when Santi had that three-point. I believe it was a 29-10 to 10 run that, that Florida ended the game on with Tennessee up six that was abysmal. It, it, it was awful for Tennessee, and that's what gave Florida the, the big – I mean, what did it end up being? It ended up being a 13-point win when Tennessee was up by six with 10 minutes left. I mean, basically going into the fourth quarter of that game, it it was just a – it was a really disappointing effort from Tennessee to close the game last night.
0: I think that was the most disappointing part of it. I mean, you can analyze the offense, and those are issues. we They aren't as prevalent this season, but we know are lingering. Those yeah. are – it's – it can come up at any time, but even with even with that, Tennessee should have won last night. They yeah. dug that hole we were talking about. They dug themselves mm-hmm. out of that hole really with great defense, but also some timely shootings. The Kai Ziegler got it going some in the second half. Hit uh, really two big threes when Tennessee was able to come yeah, back. Back to and back, and t- the, back, right? Yeah, yeah. On um, I believe back to back possessions. Yeah, 13 minutes and 12:27 left. So yeah, back to back possessions. Tennessee gets up by six. Who thought they were going to lose that game? I, I know, I know, I didn't. And yeah, great teams or really good teams. Those are games you have to win. When you don't play well on the road, I mean, how much should we talk about Rick Barnes talking about it? You got you got to find ways to win games when you don't shoot well. And Tennessee looked like they were going to do that. Yeah, and then they collapsed. And and certainly the offense was a struggle down the stretch. They made three baskets from the field in the last ten forty. It's tough to win like that. But to me, the defense was what more was more disappointing. I mean, you give up twenty. You just said it, Rick. Twenty eight points in ten oh nine. That's that's not that's not Tennessee basketball. No. Man. They did a great job eliminating Colin Castleton. I believe he had seven points uh, in the first, whatever that would be, twenty-nine uh, fifty-one in the game, and then he had thirteen in the last. And they could not, they could not slow him down. And to me, that was, yeah, he really, really just he as much tear. why they lost last night. It's not as big as a concern moving forward, but why they lost last night, they collapsed defensively in that, that last ten oh nine. So to you, what is a concern moving forward? I think it's the offense. I mean, it's it's the le- it's can Tenne- can Tennessee score yeah. when they don't shoot the ball well, and we've seen it more this year that they can. Uh, I mean, it's to a, a lot of the angry fans. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, they don't they don't like to hear it, but Tennessee has they have avoided these scoring droughts and they these mm-hmm. scoring plagues much more this year. I mean, entering the game last night, they were. Uh, below the national average in scoring droughts over four minutes. Now, they had three last night, and they have more options this year. Olivier Kamlois and Eros Placic, they're better offensively than they've been in the past. They can provide. Zakai Ziegler is better at finishing at the basket than he was last year. You have Julian Phillips, who certainly has that potential, but none of those guys are consistent scoring options. And if none of those guys show up and shots don't go down, Tennessee is going to be in a lot of trouble offensively. And we've seen that less this year. But we have seen it a couple times. Really, I would just say, I guess the Colorado game some, but really to me more than anything, the Kentucky Kentucky game, the Ole Miss game, and then the game last night. How does Tennessee find ways to win in those games? And It's a question they'll be searching for. Rick Barnes talks about it all the time with consistency. Where do you find it? To me, it's going to have to be Ziegler. But in games when they're playing guys like Castleman, it's going to be hard. And I think more than anything, they got to get more from Julian Phillips yes. and they got to get more from Tyree Key. Those are two guys that cannot be complete afterthoughts in games like last night, and that's exactly what they were. Yeah, and Tyree Key has been of late. He's yeah. he's become just a catch-and-shoot guy,
2: and he's not making his shots. No. But another thing you were talking about when Tennessee's offense can't get going, well, they're, the margin for error on defense is so small if they're going to be able to win. And last night they gave up two kill shots, one late and one early on. So you can't do that. If you're Tennessee and you're having a bad night offensively, I know their defense still played overall pretty well, you know, outside of those last 10 minutes, but you just can't allow that to happen. Yeah, you have I would to be so sharp.
0: I would say the first kill shot was more on the offense, though, because the offense didn't score for seven and a half minutes. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But you're, but you're right. And it wasn't even the fact that they were two kill shots, they were two big kill shots. It was a 15 yeah. 0 run and a 13 0 run.
2: Yeah, that's 28 points. <laughs> it is 20. You're going to give up a 28 <laughs> 0 run
0: at, at combined and twice in a game. You're going to be hard pressed to win. So. Yeah, that's to your point, and and you're absolutely right. Tennessee been really good at creating kill shots, been good at limiting them this year. Now they've just given up five of those kill shots on the season. Four of them in the losses to Kentucky, and then now against Florida.
1: Coming up next, Tennessee hosts Auburn, who is ranked right there at number twenty-five. Uh, right there, bookending the the end of the rankings, right there, but. Tennessee welcomes in Bruce Pearl and Auburn coming in after this loss. Now, looking back at the season so far, Tennessee has been pretty good after losses. I mean, just going back to the beginning, after the Colorado loss, they went on a, what is this, looks like about an eight-game win streak, including a win over number three Kansas and won over number 13 Maryland they did lose to number nine Arizona on the road but came back with a five game win streak after that lost to Kentucky came back and won two straight road games against Mississippi State and LSU so Tennessee has been good at bounce at being able to bounce back after losses this year what do we kind of see for the team moving forward just into this you know, into this final, what is this? About eight, about nine games left of the season. But coming after this loss, really needing to regroup before Bruce Pearl and a talented Auburn team does come in town on Saturday afternoon.
2: Yeah, I expect them to regroup. Just coming back to Thompson-Bolton Arena is huge. If if they had to go on the road again, like they did, you know, a couple of weeks ago when they had two road tests, if they had lost the first one on a two-game road stretch, I would be worried. Considering it's SEC play, but with coming back to thompson Ball and Arena, Auburn's not playing their best basketball. They just had a big win against Georgia, but still overall. You know, they weren't very good in the first half of West Virginia game, especially. So I expect Tennessee to get back on track.
0: I do, too. And, again, we talked about how awful last night was. It's February 1st. And the issues we talked about, they're very real issues. But they haven't they haven't reared the rug. We had a ton this season. So, Jack, you said, I expect this team to get back to the way it was playing, to bounce back Saturday. I, I would expect them to win that game against Auburn. Um, it's about finding out those issues or figuring out those issues to the best of your ability. And the games I will be curious to see, the games I'll be circling at Kentucky, at Texas A&M, at Auburn. Those are three difficult games on the road. Typically, I mean, Tennessee, it's not impossible for Tennessee to have a poor offensive performance at home, but typically it's pretty good there. They come on the road. How can they play in those games? Those Are going to be three tough games? Uh, I think how Tennessee's offense looks in, in how whether they're able to pick up wins in that game will be will be pretty telling to where this team is at going into to tournament play, both in Nashville, the SEC tournament, and then again in the NCAA tournament a week later.
1: Five more home games left for Tennessee on the slate for this season. Four more road games left for the Vols, like Ryan just mentioned, Kentucky, Texas A&M, and Auburn. And then before any of that, coming up next week, uh, next Wednesday night, I believe it'll be Tennessee Travels uh, – over to Nashville to take on Vanderbilt at their house. So that's an interesting look at the schedule coming up for Tennessee, but certainly a a wild week for the Volunteers just with the high that was the top 10 win on the the night that you have College Game Day in town. There's a lot going on. It's a big, you know, you have a 20-point lead and it turns into an 11-point win, but it's still a huge moment for the program. Then you come back and they fall on their face. At Florida, so uh, certainly an interesting week for Tennessee. But looking to see how they bounce back this weekend against number twenty-five Auburn, that game will be coming up two o'clock p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. Of course, Rocky Tomp Insider will have you locked in with coverage throughout uh, the game in Knoxville. Otherwise, though, I think that wraps up the basketball conversation for today. A lot more to get to for the rest of the season, but just just kind of breaking down the the week that was for the balls.
0: Yeah, certainly, and really the the tell of. I think what you saw Tennessee at its best, or I maybe mean, not even Tennessee at its best, but Tennessee at its most impressive against Texas, yeah. the way it was able to have offensive success without just reigning in threes, and then the the fear of what Tennessee is at its worst. All all the fans out there that have been hesitant of buying in completely to this team because they're worried about what happens in March. To me, Florida has all the makings of a 10-seed in the NCAA tournament. They have one really good player in Colin Castleton. They have a solid core around them, but nothing special. Those are the type of teams that, that you'll see in the round of 32. You really saw it with Michigan last year, Hunter Dickinson. Yep. One really good player, yep. solid core around them. And it's those are the games that, that Tennessee is going to have to try to figure out a way to win uh, when shots aren't falling. And we'll see how uh, how they do the rest of the season with it. Before we move on from basketball, Ryan, I want you to uh, talk about your stat you shared
2: on Twitter today from the Fields of 68 newsletter.
0: Yeah, so Field of 68 had this in their newsletter today. And Will Warren, uh, stats by Will, also had a bunch of really good writing about the parody, or really just how the top of college basketball is so weak this year. And Tennessee was the 10th top two team to lose this season. That is a record in the AP poll. Wow. It is February 1st. Mm-hmm. There's still a full month, if not <laughs> yeah. but, uh, yeah, five, more there's than a month. still five weeks left until yeah. the NCAA tournament. There's a
1: month and a couple of days left until conference
0: tournament. That's wild. Yeah. So, I mean, it's again, it's there's just no really— It's college really, basketball. There's, yeah, yeah, it's college basketball, and I, I see— a lot of people, you know, great teams don't—they don't lose games like that last night. Well, one, Tennessee was a five-point favorite on the road. A lot of teams lose games as five-point favorites on the road. Yeah, uh, to solid teams that can make the NCAA tournament. I mean, and two, there's not a lot of there's not really any great college basketball teams this year. Look what just happened to Alabama. Yeah,
2: they got blown out. Yeah, to unranked Oklahoma on the road. So.
0: And it, it, the exact same the exact same thing. Alabama. What what happens for Alabama when they don't make the reason? Brandon Miller can't bail them out. Can their defense win them games? <laughs> they got really railroaded <laughs> by a, a pretty aver- a worse Oklahoma team, in my opinion, than this Florida team uh, on the road. So that's that's a great point, Jack. That's the nature of college basketball. Can you win when what you do best is not going well for you? Tennessee's done it some this season. They couldn't do it last night, but they're certainly uh, not alone in that. In that struggle. And Alabama certainly had a good rebound performance, <laughs> oh smashing <laughs>
2: by nearly sixty points. So we'll see. That was if Tennessee can have a good rebound this week. <laughs> wow, that, that was, was that wow. was as, as Ryan and Jerry said, should be illegal. I love that tweet. That was <laughs> should great be illegal. Tweet.
1: Jerry Stackhouse and Nate Oats are like you know somewhat friendly. I think we've heard they've got they've got they've both got more enemies than each other. So it, it really was wild to see. But I think as Nate Oates said, like, hey, that's just. So, it's just well, yeah. unfortunate to be in a place after a loss, and that's <laughs> that's the kind of mentality though that Tennessee needs, I exactly. think, coming up this Saturday. It's, yep. it's hey, look, if you beat us, if you embarrass us, then we will come back and we will throw everything, including the kitchen sink, at you for the next game. I think that's the mean. That's the mentality that obviously Alabama had, and leading to their you know nine hundred point win against Vanderbilt, that absolutely is the mentality that Tennessee has to have coming back in against Auburn. I, I think we're right and that this is not a this is not pushing the panic button or anything. But if you're a top five team in this league, if you're a national championship contender, you've got to come back and be able to assert a little bit of dominance. And I think that Tennessee does have the opportunity to do that.
0: That <laughs> that Vanderbilt game was genuinely unbelievable. Whoa. I was flipping wow. it like on a little bit in the first half, kind of following it. And it was you know, like a seventeen-point lead, maybe six minutes to go in the first half, and I just flipped it off, like I'm not going to flip it back on. No reason to. And it was like, what felt like no more than twenty minutes later, like I'm a college basketball group chat with some friends, and my Alabama friend texted me, and it was like, my goodness. And I flip it over, <laughs> and it was a forty-point game. Yeah, for anybody Vanderbilt who, had twenty-four points, like in seven minutes into the second half. For anybody um, who's who's
1: not familiar, uh, that was a one hundred and one to
0: forty-four. Uh, it's the biggest win in program victory, history think, for, for yeah. Alabama. It was the biggest. It was the biggest win in program history for Alabama, or at least against an SEC team. And it was like the fourth worst loss for Vanderbilt in program <laughs> oh, history. <no. laughs> I think all of them were I think two of them were against Kentucky and I oh, can't remember who the other one was against maybe Florida but uh Yikes. yeah it was that was funny
1: You know if you're watching Tennessee Athletics as much as we are covering the team as much as we know a lot of this fan base does watching both teams it really is kind of wild to go from Tennessee football straight into Tennessee basketball right and that is not just Tennessee but the sports in general you look at the college football season where every single game matters right no matter if it's the beginning of the season or the end of the season every single game matters and when you're watching this Tennessee team this was a team that was built on high electric you know offense and, and that is what this team saw it saw the the nation's leader in the sport of college football in terms of offense then you immediately go into the basketball season where there is a lot more longevity between the seasons some of these games aren't as important as others you do kind of get some just you know, some some gimme games on a Wednesday night or some forgettable games on a Wednesday night, but games that you can kind of overpower later on in the season, but they still hurt right now as a regular season loss. But at the same time, though, if you're looking at Tennessee, it's obviously a team that is really based on defense. It is one of, if not the best defensive team in the country. So it, it really is just kind of crazy, not only college football going into college basketball, one after the other, but if you're a Tennessee fan, just kind of the the difference in these teams. So it, it, it's... I don't know if that's it's going in any. yin and yang, s- right? It, yeah, exactly. I don't know if that's going in any kind of direction myself, but just a fascinating thought. It's like and going from summer to winter. You know, exactly. You're, you're
2: having fun watching this yeah. offense. It's, it's going to the beach. You haven't you having a lot of fun this winter, and you got to grind it out and watch this stuff. One day to the next. So I understand how it would be, you know, just just kind of shell shocked almost to see uh, the difference in the teams. But I mean, Tennessee's still winning and. You know They're a top-two team in the nation at the moment. So
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right, speaking of Tennessee football, that is going to be our next topic of discussion. Wednesday was National Signing Day. We'll tell you about why Tennessee was a little bit quiet. We'll talk about the, the signing day timeline because it has gotten weird here in the last couple of years, and we'll talk about what is next for Tennessee football on the recruiting trail. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rocky Tup at a press pass.
0: We'll be right back. And now, back to the show. So
1: the signing period has definitely kind of switched up a little bit here in the last couple years, right? This February 1 day, this whole National Signing Day, that used to be the big event that people would be looking forward to, that people would be fascinated with. That would be the big signing day. But I think you've seen in the last couple years a little bit of a shift. And I think what you've seen is that maybe these players and these high school students are prioritizing getting into their program, being able to go through all the ups and the downs of December practices, of bowl practices, of just the whole early enrollment process. I think for a lot of these guys, they're, they're kind of saying, hey, I'm good on the high school scene, right? I've done what I need to do. I would like to go ahead and get a jump start on my college career. I think you've seen that be very beneficial to people. Thus, the early signing period, what, what typically comes you know, mid to late December, I believe it was what, December 22nd this past the year?
0: the third Wednesday through Friday of December.
1: Okay, there you go. So, So kind of that third week of December, man, that has really become the priority of this signing adventure, if you will, that a lot of these players are going on, which kind of leaves a day like yesterday, National Signing Day, a little bit barren, or certainly just considerably ball, less, yeah. yeah, behind the eight ball, just considerably less news than you would typically expect on the December date of the early signing period.
2: I mean it makes sense, you know, like why not have an extra semester of preparation rather sure. than just the summer? And same with classes too. a lot of these kids are looking to go to the NFL and ex- you know, expand their career after three years or so, you know, if if they're a highly touted recruit, so why not get that extra semester of classes under your belt so you can graduate earlier? It makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, I know it does. And but you could do that before too. You didn't have you could enroll oh, in you January. Could enroll, okay. Yeah, yeah. and, still and be. To me, and I'll be interested to see the do this because I've heard some people who know more about it talk about it. But I did need to go, they didn't get rid of it's December signing date because coaches trying to manage transfer portal, signing day, and bowl practice at the same time like that's just crazy. And you have this full push at once, where and then now you see in January. I mean, January it's just it's all about. Maybe you have one or two guys you're still going after in that current class, but it's yeah. about the, getting the juniors on campus and going ahead and starting that stuff. To me, it seems like it would be a lot more beneficial. Maybe you had a, a signing day in, in August, like Dabo Sweeney's talked about for a long time, but I, I like getting rid of the December one and having it going back to February. And that's, To me, that spaces things out. Instead of there being this two-, three-week push in December that's just absolutely insane, it gives you the whole month of January to focus on high school kids and the whole month of December to focus on portal guys.
1: That's interesting. And I'll, I think that so much of what you just said is is spot on, and I think for a lot of different reasons that would be beneficial to people. But I do kind of wonder if, you know, yes, that is more beneficial for the coaches who have about a million and a half things on their plate in the month of December, but maybe it's better for the kids, right, to have this December signing date, for the kids to be able to wrap up that final season of theirs and then to say, hey, you know what? I am off, and I am ready to start my college career. I don't. I don't need to in in a couple weeks. I don't need to in a couple months. I want to be in there, going through the going through the practices, going through the facility for that bowl season, especially if that team is going to be involved in. I know, you know. I think obviously a lot of the kids that Tennessee brought in this year, you know, for hopefully for for Tennessee's sake, did find good experience in those bowl practices. So, Ryan, I, I get what you're saying. I think it's it's a weird. Maybe space in the middle that you're right. Like it feels like for the program and certainly the coaches and the coaching staff, it would be more beneficial for you know national signing day to become once it, what it once was as the primary date for these kids to sign. But I also do kind of wonder, without being a recruit myself, if maybe that December date it is really beneficial for these kids and does give them a little bit of a leg up on you know, the competition moving forward, or just at least in comparison to years past.
2: I know if I was a recruit, I'd be looking to sign in December. Yeah. So, I, I see what you're saying. Like, it, it's definitely – I would be interested to hear a coach's take on it. Obviously, we heard Dabo's take on it at the Orange Bowl and stuff and, you know, his beliefs on it. But as a player, I think it would be beneficial to go in December. So, I don't see a big issue with it.
0: Yeah, no, I, I do think it it is nice for the players because – I'm sure the recruiting process is just exhausting, especially for those top players. So, and that's you know maybe why you put one in in August before the season, and you know anybody can get out of it if any of their assistant coaches, anyone who recruited them, they can get out of their NIL if they if they leave or in LI if they leave. But
1: was Dabo's whole thing was he at any point pushing for just a sign
2: anytime? I don't think so. Like like, there's no period. It's yeah, just whenever. Like you
1: just, if you want to sign, maybe. you know, it, it maybe maybe it'd have to be
0: you know from August to February, you know, or something like that. But like I, I think he's pushed for a database, an offer database, where if you offer a kid, it's official. You can't pull the offer, so you kind of have oh, yeah, you yeah, take yeah. away that uncertainty yeah, he of has it. for that, yeah, because
2: he's big on if I offer you, I want you to come here for sure. 100%, yes, yes. Sure. which obviously
0: is not the case for. <laughs> Tons of programs. <laughs> exactly, he does it yeah. differently. Yeah, so I know he's talked about that, but I don't, I don't think he's ever been big on like a sign at any time. But I could have missed it if he has, has requested that or put that idea out there.
1: So yesterday was a quiet day for Tennessee football. Did not have any signees. Did bring in a, a couple of guys who who are going to be preferred walk-ons. Uh, 2023 wide receiver Nathan Roberts, who, who is from. Morristown Hamblin East High School, which is just about forty-five minutes east of Knoxville, you have quarterback Ryan Dameron, uh, who, who, Jack, I believe you have a small yeah, no kind Ryan. of connection,
2: right? Yeah. So he go, he went to my high school, Henry County High School in Paris, Tennessee. He started all four years. Uh, he was a big deal when he was coming in as a freshman. Everybody was hyped up. He's uh he took Henry County deep into the playoffs almost every year. He started broke all the records. So. Yeah, I know Ryan personally, and he's a, he's a good guy. So I was actually kind of surprised. He's coming to Tennessee, but I, I know um, this is where he always wanted to go. He had a, some scholarship offers, one from ETSU, but ultimately ch- uh, chose to come to Rocket Top, and it's it's cool to see someone follow their dreams, you know?
1: Yeah, no doubt about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, you would know better than me. You watch him a lot more. But to me, that seems like a classic guy where – if he was six two instead of five eleven, exactly. he would probably have a lot of get a, a lot of power, power five options. Maybe it, not Tennessee per se, but yeah, he's just smaller.
2: Yeah. Right, that's that's exactly the point. An interesting fact about Ryan Damron is um, he's originally from Martin, Tennessee, which is Westview High School, which is where Ty Simpson was. Yeah? and the reason he transferred oh, wow. to Henry County is because Ty Simpson was there, sure. and he wasn't going to be able to start, but his senior year, so he came to Henry County, started all four years. So that's that's just a cool little nugget about those. Yeah, it is interesting.
1: So that's kind of been the the happening, at at least on Rocky Top this week, just in, in relation to Tennessee's 2023 class. Otherwise... Things have pretty much slowed down as we start to see a lot more activity from the class of 24 start to rise. But Tennessee's 2023 class does end with 19 players that have already been enrolled into the university, six players that have signed their letter of intent but just haven't enrolled yet, and then they have nine additions from the transfer portal as well. Tennessee does end with a top 12 uh, recruiting class, according to the three major publications, 247 Sports at number 9, Rivals and On 3 both have Tennessee at number 12, so just a little bit on the outside of the top 10 looking in but ultimately this is a an impressive class for tennessee i I think you can look all up and down it and you know i'll give you one name okay from the recruiting class that that i really think is a standout player maybe not as be maybe not even as talked about as some others a five-star quarterback okay nico (laughs) you got
2: us I thought I, I thought we were
1: actually. I think when you look through the list, right uh, of these, of <laughs> no all one's these talking kids, about Nico. Nobody <laughs> is. Say?
2: <laughs> Nobody is.
1: Uh, I think if you look all th- up and down the list, there's a lot of good players on it, but there's a lot of defensive players that jump off the off the page to me. One in particular, Ryan. I, I know you and I talked about a couple months ago, uh, and it certainly popped up from time to time. It's the linebacker Jalen Smith out of Loganville, Georgia, who's a four-star recruit, six foot, two hundred and thirteen pounds. This guy is supremely talented, kind of right there in the middle of Tennessee's recruiting class, but I think he's got the potential to be one of those quick risers, especially, you know, once everything starts to unfold here during spring camp, during fall camp, so on and so forth. This guy is talented, but I, I consider I continuously come back to this 2023 recruiting class and think about what did Tennessee need? Well, we know this is an offensive-driven team, so they need to get the right skill pieces in place. I think you do that with guys like Ethan Davis, a really talented tight end. You do that with a wide receiver like Nathan Leacock. You do that with some of the other guys, an athlete like Cam Seldon who's coming in. Obviously, if your quarterback in Nico. But what you really bolster with this class, especially from a depth perspective, is the defense and the secondary. I think those were those have obviously been Tennessee's two biggest concerns here in the first two years of the Josh Heupel era, and this is something that they are attacking. And I don't mean addressing. I feel like they're attacking this, at least in the developmental terms of the recruiting class.
0: Certainly, and to me, that's the, the defense is the impressive part. I yeah. mean, there's a lot of good stuff on the offense. I don't mean to to downplay any of that, but... That's where you expect Tennessee to recruit well. That's you what Tennessee ex- re- Especially re- Josh. Yeah. yeah, that's what Tennessee recruited well in Josh Schaebel's first cycle when there was zero yeah. momentum around the program, zero buzz around the program. And
1: you expect Tennessee's offense at this point to pretty much be well no matter who is being plugged into that offense just because of the minds that are putting it together.
0: Yeah, certainly. And so to me, it, the defense is the important part. And I don't know, you guys want to do a couple of superlatives? I mean, you. Yeah, right. let's, let's do it under radar, and I'll, sure. you, I'll give you Jalen Smith. Because, okay. Yeah. Uh, To me, I think it's Tyree Weathersby, because he's kind of similar to Nathan Leacock, but less dramatic. He was a guy, (laughs) really small recruit when Tennessee committed, but that's what you you heard at the time about him. Rodney Garner loves this guy. He loves him. He really thinks he's going to be a a great player. And Rodney, man, you trust trust Rodney Garner's evaluation more than anybody, I mean, the amount of great players he's recruited, and and he has gone up. He's a four-star now. He's a a top 300 recruit, number 296 from the 247 composite rankings. But still not a guy that you really talk about. To me, he gets he gets over – I mean, he's what, the fourth highest rated defensive line commit in this Tennessee class. You have Chan Davian, Bradley and Caleb Herring on the edge, and then obviously you have Davian Hobbs in the middle. To me, he kind of slides under the radar, but I think is one of the more impressive pieces that Tennessee's added.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of – Names you can look to. Uh, Jalen Smith, one of the ones I've been high on as well. But Christian Conyer is a guy who, you know, you didn't know if he was going to play corner or wide receiver. He's kind of fitting as a corner, I would believe. Uh, Four-star, three-star, depending on the publication, out of Bowling Green, Kentucky. I think this guy can make an impact. And you look at Tennessee's DBs they're bringing in, of course, the bigger names such as Ricky Gibson and Jordan Matthews, I think Christian Conyer can make an impact as well. Dude's talent just jumps out of the film when you watch.
0: What about a player do we think can make the biggest impact as a freshman? Or most likely to make an impact as a freshman? Uh, on either side of the ball? Either side of the ball. I'll go first while you're off Okay. To me in Jack... You you just said it. You were just all over it at the cornerback position. Really it could be either of the guys, Jordan Matthews or Ricky Gibson, but I'm gonna go Jordan Matthews. To me, he seems like the top one. Yeah. His physicality at 6'1, 184 stands out and of all I mean, Tennessee had a lot of good recruiting wins. Jordan Matthews might have been the biggest surprise when it happened. I mean, every, yes. everyone had him pegged to Texas. He'd been to Texas way more than he'd been to Tennessee Baton Rouge native and Tennessee was able to get him and to me, obviously Tennessee brings in uh the the corner uh, at a transfer portal from B- BYU, Gabe. Yeah, Gabe Judy Lally. Judy Lally, there you go. And, and I didn't know. The double. I didn't know the double last <laughs> name, yeah. <laughs> and.
2: Hey, you have to type it a lot. So get yeah, <laughs> I know. So I'll, I'll, get,
0: I'll get used to it. But uh, to me, Jordan Matthews is another guy that I think is going to have a chance to come in right away. He's already here. I think it, maybe this yeah. is wishful thinking, but he's the one guy I think, if you go, uh, who would you want Tennessee to have from this class stand out? To me, it's Jordan Matthews because. His ceiling is so high, and that is a spot of such opportunity next season.
1: Yeah, that was a guy who was highly tattered on the recruiting scene, and I think a guy that You know that he believes in what Tennessee is doing just, again, based on the other schools that were so heavily trying to recruit him. And the fact that he could have gone to some of these other schools, a a school like LSU that would have been right there in his own backyard, right? It would have been a little bit maybe easier to go to. But I think you can tell that this guy wants to be great. He wants to be great at Tennessee. And like you said, Ryan, I think he's got that opportunity.
2: Yeah, for me, I mean, you look at the top guys like Nico and Laycock and, you know, these guys, I don't know how much opportunity they're going to have in the yeah. first year, of course. So I'm going to look to a guy like Arian Carter, one of the last commits of this class, um, you know, top two player in the state of Tennessee, dude's a stud. So with Tennessee's lineback- linebacker group, I feel like there's a lot of opportunity to have an impact, such yeah. as there is with the secondary. So for me, it would be Arian Carter.
1: I will uh, – you know, one name that, that I've consistently – has consistently opened my eyes, I, I guess, throughout the season. And maybe that's even because of some of the stuff that he's doing off the field and maybe even on the court with a couple of oh. dunks, just throwing out <laughs> some ridiculous athleticism. But that is Chandavian Bradley uh, from Platt County, Missouri. He is just a freak of nature when it comes to athleticism, right? He, he is a, a, an edge rusher who is six foot four and a half, two hundred nine 209 pounds, according to 247. But he's just got a motor, I, I think, it is really what we've heard about him for so long. This is a guy who, who, you know, committed to Tennessee all the way back in July, took a couple of visits throughout the season, and then eventually signed the dotted line in that mid-December spot. But again, this is a guy who played basketball. He competed in track and field. He's got high jumps. He's got sprints. He, he all in all, just a very talented athlete. I think that he is a, uh, he's a dominant player. And again, we saw Tennessee's Get a plenty of rotation right there on the defensive line. We know that Tennessee does like to sub guys in. I think they played a couple of young guys this year, who I expect obviously they're going to be playing more next year. A guy like Josh Jake, uh, Josh Josephs, I think we're going to see really step up mm-hmm. next year. We're going yeah. yeah, we'll those, be talking about him a lot a this summer. Those
2: edge rushers, I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah. yeah, but
1: I do think that you know even if he's got a couple you know a couple guys still in front of him, I think this is a guy who maybe they try to get on the field here and there just to see what he can bring and and see what he can do with the athleticism that he's bringing to the table.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And Leacock, to me, is a guy like can he can he fill the squirrel white role? And not in the sense of nah, he's
2: not the same player, but yeah, not. But can he be
0: the guy that playing that amount same amount of breaks snaps? Out. those those amount of snaps? Yeah. And you see him shine in mop up duty, and then boom, when his name's called late in the season, he's breakout. He's ready to contribute. Yeah, because you're right. He's not going to be a guy that's going to play forty snaps right. in, in any unless there's a bunch of injuries. So. Uh, I think that's a good point, but he's a guy I'm. I'm just really intrigued to, set, to see. And to me, it's not the position group that like has the most stars, but that linebacker position, inside linebacker with Jalen Smith, Aaron Carter, and Talender. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be fascinated to see. And really, just the young linebackers. When you throw in Elijah Herring too, mm-hmm. who was a, a freshman this year, I think Tennessee has a lot of talent there. And obviously, you bring back Aaron Beasley. You have Keenan Peely, P- yeah. Pile. I'm not sure. I would. Yeah. I, would I said Peely, but. Who knows? Yeah, I looked it up at one point, and I've already forgotten. Yeah, but you have those guys who are probably going to be the top of that room, but I think there's opportunity behind, and I think Tennessee has a chance to have much better depth at that spot than they've had the last few years. And I, I'm I'm really high on those three guys. They brought. In that
1: same light, I think that Cam Seldon is a guy who, who from an offensive perspective, maybe he's one of these guys that they just try to get a couple touches every once in a while. Just, again, because of the speed that he brings to the table. This guy is like, stupid fast. Like, ridiculously <laughs> fast. I, I think he's got great wheels on the field. It, just looking at his uh, 247 background page, I mean, it is just littered with track times. Uh, whether it was 2020, 2021, 2022, all over the place. Whether it's the 100-meter dash, the the uh, the long jump, the, you know, whatever it is. Again, kind of like Bradley, this guy just is, is a freak of nature offensively. I, I think that it, it'll, it it would obviously be—maybe it maybe not obviously— let me slow down here. It would seem like it would be very sporadic and very limited, but I do wonder if they get him the ball in a couple just different positions on the field, just to see kind of what they have with him and what he can bring to the table. I think he is a uh, he's a shining prospect down the road.
2: Yeah, strong and fast for Cameron Seldon, right? I think sure. he ran a four two seven in the forty, according to his huddle measurements, and he can bench three seventy.
0: And you, I mean, you look. And we haven't talked about it in a month or so, but you go back, like depth's going to be an issue running back again. Like, Tennessee lost those back-end yeah. guys, Justin Williams, Thomas, and yeah. obviously Lenny Whitehead was hurt. The top three, right. But, yeah, you got the top three back, so you feel good about that. It's not, like, a pressing need, but Teff is a concern there, and he's obviously an athlete. He could play receiver running back. Seems like he'll probably start at running back because yeah. of that concern, and obviously they're so high on lecott, So, really, for both him and Khalif Keith, the three-star out of Birmingham that they got flipped mm-hmm. from Kentucky, there's going to be – it might not be at start of the season. It might not be day one of fall camp. But there's going to be a time that one of those guys is going to get an opportunity. Just because you got three guys, someone's going to get banged up, and you're going to exactly. need a third running back at some point. There's going to be opportunity there, and it, it might not be a huge role. It'll be interesting to see who that guy is. At this time last year, we—, we would have said the same thing, and yes. we all would have thought it would have been Justin Williams Thomas. Precisely, and it was Dylan Sampson. So it'll be curious to see what those two guys look like when they when they get to campus and get going.
1: Did you have any other superlative categories or, or anything? Because that was good. That was I like I, I that. love superlatives. Yeah, I yeah, liked well, that. to me
0: the only other one would be like most important. But Nico, I mean, I every mean, all wait, there's no we could do besides Nico important signing. Yeah, but it's it's clearly it's clearly Nico number one, and I think there were probably highest upside. Highest, yeah, it is a good outside
2: look. of Nico, because obviously Nico's upside is taking Tennessee to national. My immediate thought is Hobbs, although yeah. it still feels yeah. like a
1: kind of a, a a cheat answer because he's the second highest rated recruit. But I do Georgia think. Georgia Alabama oh, think one of them badly. a guy who has a lot Bradley of upside. Bradley certainly could be involved, but I, I think Hobbs is a is a terrific player. I, I think he is rated as highly as he is for a reason. I believe he's a top fifty prospect. According, actually, I think it's like top thirty prospect according to On Three Sports. It, he is a he is a very talented player, and I think he'll be. Dominant uh, here at Tennessee when, when it, by the time it's all said, the up.
0: one other guy I would just I don't really know what superlative he would fall under, but we haven't talked about. All right, let's
1: give him a superlative.
0: Let's hear it. Ethan Davis is the guy I don't know what superlative is, but you just look
1: at most likely to come back from an injury that he suffered <laughs> in, the, in the senior season of high school.
0: Boom! I think that's right. Uh, Boom! He's flown under the radar. So, I mean, he was what Tennessee's first or second commit I back in, second, yeah. in December. And then he gets – you mentioned it, he gets injured the first or second game of his senior year. He, Not like he plummets down the recruiting rankings, but he was like around 75. I think he ends up at 142. Tennessee's tied in. I mean, it's not a pressing need because they bring in Castles from UC Davis. Jacob Warren's coming back. But, again, there's not a lot of depth there, and there's not like an elite athlete in that room. Maybe sure, Maybe most likely – this is such a mouthful
2: – maybe most likely to change how the position is played in Tennessee's system.
0: Yeah. Probably not year one,
2: right? But his, maybe year two or year three.
0: He has the upside, and Jonathan Eccles has it too. Obviously, it's a long way from signing day. He was a big Alex schoolish guy. We'll see yes, if he stays yes. in those class. But those are two guys. Those are two athletes that Tennessee has not had a tight right, end in right. the first two years. And you're right. That can. It'll be really fascinating to see how Tennessee uses, the, or how Josh will uses those guys in their offense, I mean, in we, his offense. We saw the position adjust a little bit with Prince of Fan
2: being that kind of Taysom Hill role almost, yep. where he was the fullback, tight end type. But we know with Jacob Warren and Castles, they're not going to catch a lot of passes. They're going to be used a lot for blocking. But. Davis and a certainly Eccles, if he signs later on down the road, that could change how the tight end position is utilized in Josh Heupel's offense.
1: And you 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 saw just the the variety that they used with Prince and Fant this year, right? Mm-hmm. He he was running, he was throwing, he was catching, he was doing everything. So I, I think they do kind of you know I think they want a guy who who can fill in a bunch of different roles for them, especially down by the goal line. I think they want a versatile big player, kind of like a Fant, who can. You know who, who can run it, who can catch it if he needs to, and so on and so forth. So I I I do agree, especially with Alex Golish, who was the tight ends coordinator leaving. I, I do kind of wonder what what this position looks like moving forward. I'm sure it'll be a lot of the same, but definitely I I think a, a small storyline to watch.
0: Yeah, it is, and I mean you just think about it the way Tennessee attacks the perimeter, mm-hmm. and then you add a really good tight end like the. the I'm not a football genius. Never coached football. If I was a football genius, I wouldn't be here talking to you guys. But just the thoughts of the versatility that gives you offensively yep. for a guy that's as smart as Josh yeah. Heupel, it's it's really intriguing. Yeah,
1: guys, let's uh, switch gears real quick before we wrap up this show. A lot of news from the first couple of days of the Senior Bowl coming out, and uh, I think you go back to Monday, and maybe that was the most optimistic or, or the most. Maybe the most relevant news for the Tennessee fan base, and that came from uh, Tom Pelissero of the NFL Network on Monday. He reported former Tennessee quarterback Hindon Hooker, who did go through the ACL surgery at the end of November after that South Carolina game. He reported that Hendon Hooker is off of crutches as of about a week ago, uh, which is a huge step in the re- in the uh, recovery process. Hooker also told Pelissero that he believes he should be running by the end of March and that he believes that him and his doctors believe that he will be ready for training camp. That is terrific, terrific news for Hendon Hooker, who obviously suffered that terrible injury right there at the end of the regular season. Just for a guy who is as old as he is, for, for a guy who, you know, people are already going to find ways to kind of poke holes in his narrative that the ACL injury doesn't help. But also, now you're looking at this guy and you're saying, wow, this recovery has been amazing, though it, it yeah. definitely seems to be well ahead of schedule it definitely seems to be in a good position and he's now looking like a guy that if you draft he won't have to miss any kind of significant time there in the you know in the preseason of his very first year especially if he is there for training camp so uh, i think that this news has been extremely optimistic towards Henon hooker and you know it's kind of maybe even sliding him up into that you know round 2 round 3 maybe round 4 kind of range
2: it's absolutely massive for hooker to you know have that news and go down to the senior bowl and in general, because yeah, you guys know just as well as anybody that talking to Hinton Hooker, covering him, instant leader, right? He, the leadership sure. qualities just jump out at you. So him going down there and talking to all these – I mean, every single NFL team is down there. They have a representative down there. Hinton Hooker is going to meet with all of them. For him to show them his leadership qualities is big for his draft stock to try and you know get into that round three, round four range.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, and – Man, there's a lot of people. Hennon Hooker is a, is a very talked-about name right now in, in the college football world because, again, I, I think you kind of know, or at least people have an understanding of, yes, the the top few are, are going to be, it's going to be uh, Stroud, it's going to be uh, Bryce Young, it's going to be Will Levitt, it's going to be some of these Anthony other guys. Richardson. Anthony Richardson. There are questions for those top guys, but they're all kind of questions that relate to the top 15. Hennon Hooker, to me, is that first kind of quarterback that's like, wow, he could go anywhere from, Round two, if you find a team that just absolutely loves him, maybe fall back to kind of a round four, maybe even a round five. He to me is kind of the most fascinating quarterback in this class, just simply because of the range that he could go. So I, I think that's fascinating. I, I listen to uh, I listen to Dallas radio e- each and every day, just because that's you know that's where I'm from. That's uh, 105.3, the fan, and even those guys in Dallas are talking about Hendon Hooker as maybe one of the most uh, impressive players at the at the Senior Bowl without even stepping on the field, uh, you right. know, to to practice in pads. So there's certainly been a lot of Hendon Hooker talking this last week. Really, kind of jump started by that report from Tom Palicero that things are looking pretty good.
0: Yeah, and another guy that's getting a ton of buzz down at the Senior Bowl from Tennessee is Darnell Wright, who. A lot of, you know, clips out there of really good reps. And then uh, Jim Nagy, who is the executive director of the Senior Bowl, uh, was on the Ramon, Caleb, and Will show on 104.5 The Zone this morning. And he said, I had a Hall of Fame O-Lyman, who's a scout, tell me that Darnell Wright has made a lot of money this week. Ooh. And this is already a guy Ooh. that, you know, what was a projected second-round pick? Yes. Basically, mm-hmm. and- Correct. Uh, I've said it for a while. To me, he's the first He's the first guy from Tennessee I would take in the draft. And to me, he seems like he should be a first-rounder. The way he played his last year and just the crazy gro- jumps in his game he made in his last two years, which, again, I think I think we talked about before, but it's not shocking. He, he's from Huntington, West Virginia, did not come from a big-time program. So he comes in his freshman year. He's not a guy that was at IMG at a football factory. Right. It's completely yeah. different. He And then his first full offseason is COVID. He has to go home. He shows back up 30 pounds overweight. No wonder he didn't play well in his sophomore season. And then junior season, you start to see it kind of start to click at left tackle for him. It moves back to right tackle this year, and he was phenomenal. Yep. Fantastic season.
1: All right, so who do you think is the first Tennessee player drafted? Is it Darnell Wright or is it Jalen Hyatt?
2: Due to the wide receiver market in the NFL and how crazy they go, I'm saying Jalen Hyatt. Okay. But I, I agree with Ryan. Hey, I don't you, think it should be You'll
1: Jaylen. be able to – you can change your pick later on. But as, as but, things stand right now, you feel like Jalen Hyatt. Yeah.
0: Okay. Hyatt will be the first one. Yeah, I would probably agree with that. I mean – Again, I'm not an expert, but just you make a great point. It's like six receivers, it feels like goes in the first round every every season so. and you just look at what the people who know more about the NFL draft than me say and it's it feels like Hyatt's pretty I consistently.
2: Mean, guys like LaVisca Chenault and Chase Claypool were early second round
0: picks. Uh, it's just
2: how wide receivers are taken in the NFL draft. You know, and I'm not saying Jalen Hyde is gonna turn out like those guys, of course, but I'm just saying wide receivers go early. So Yeah.
1: From twenty eighteen to 2021 Tennessee sent 1234567 players to the NFL draft again from 2018 to 2021 they sent 6 players last year excuse me 5 players last year it's going to be a bunch more kind of this year certainly Josh Heupel is is quickly showing that he's got an ability to get guys to the league uh you know and, and however much time they're spending at Tennessee even a guy like Phelis Jones Jr., right, who, who was only with Josh Heupel for one year here. He obviously uh, played his way up to a third-round draft pick for the uh, Chicago Bears last year. And who knows what's going to happen this year, but there are a lot of interesting stories going around, especially at the Senior Bowl, and which I do believe that Josh Heupel and the whole staff, uh, maybe not the whole staff, but a lot of the staff members. I saw Glenn Eller be down there with Wright. Uh, so maybe it was Ellerby and
0: Garner and Eckler, I think I were all guys I've seen down there. Okay, there you go. Byron, so- Byron Young, the other Tennessee guy that's down there we didn't yes, mention. Yes. Yeah, just those three, right? Yeah, just those yeah, three. Because yeah. So, to Tillman didn't go. Yeah, Carvin and uh, banks are at the East, East West Shrine Bowl this week. Right. And that's is that tonight? Is that I was about that to just tonight. ask. I, I was think, about to say, is that is, tonight, yeah.
1: Thursday night, or was that last night? But I, I don't think it was Wednesday night.
2: Some I feel I feel like I saw that. Although I can do the research really
1: we will uh, uh yeah
2: that's what matthew butler played in last year. Yeah, that's East right. East-West Shrine Bowl. So.
1: That's right. That and is exactly a, right. Before he got drafted by Vegas.
2: Yeah, he
0: had some impacts uh, in year 1 as well. So. Did he?
2: Mhm. Yeah, he, he saw Good. the
0: field a couple of times. 5 or 6 games I think he was active and played in.
2: Yeah, so it's Jeremy Banks, Jerome Carvin and Princeton Fant tonight Princeton Fant. in the East-West right. Shrine Bowl.
0: 8:30 Eastern NFL Network.
1: There you go. If you're listening to this right now, uh whenever you are on Thursday and you got some time open tonight, head over to what what channel is that NFL Network NFL Network and you can watch a couple of VFLs in the East West Shrine Bowl Otherwise guys that's going to pretty much wrap it up for us this was a man talk about a packed show we don't normally we don't normally push an hour but we are we're pushing it right now we're about 3 minutes away
0: Yeah we had plenty of uh a yin and yang basketball week yeah to talk about <laughs> so a lot of good and a lot of bad and then We got to uh, recap in the recruiting class, and that was a lot of fun.
1: When you have a top 10 win, an unranked loss on the road, and then National Signing Day, to which you really don't even do
2: anything, but it's still National Signing Day, yeah, that's going to pretty much uh, create some topics here for a podcast. I mean, full disclosure, at the Tennessee-Texas game, I was actually – you know i went as a student it was the first ut sporting event i ever went to as a student but the whole time you know i'm thinking about our upcoming podcast and stuff and like uh-huh. i know you guys are watching closely so i'm taking mental like, I was not thinking about our upcoming podcast during the game i'll tell you he's better than me i'm taking mental notes throughout the whole game Unbelievable. i'm like okay this is a turning point here and i'm like it, Basically, Tennessee <laughs> dominating, right? But I have these talking points. And then last night, the Florida game happens, and I'm like, okay, well. Yeah, that, there it goes. That's all thrown out well,
0: it was the window. Well, it's funny. It's funny because, like, to me, the biggest talking point from the Texas game was how well the offense was without hitting a bunch of shots. Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't hit shots in Florida, <laughs> and the offense was horrible. So <laughs> right. it was like the, the best part, uh, the most encouraging part of the Texas win was the most discouraging part exactly. of the Florida, it's Florida loss. Thing, it's yeah, a good thing. It's
2: a
1: good thing we waited until Thursday. Right, to record this not a normal Wednesday to where it would have been before. So we would have just spent the whole episode, yeah. you know, <laughs> just raving about how great Tennessee's offense was in that game. For for this reason, for that reason, they would have gone laid an egg just a couple of hours later. So maybe that's good timing on our part. But gentlemen, let's go ahead and wrap this up and get out of here, see if we can do it before the sixty minute mark hits. Thank you so much for listening along to the RTI Press Pass today. Couple of notes here at the end of the show for you. Number one, we're putting out this great new kind of a, a recap video. Taking a look at some of the, the different aspects of ten- Tennessee athletics, we're putting it out a couple times a week. It's called The High and Tight. It's presented by our great friends over at Gamboozza's Barbershop. Just wanted to go ahead and tell you about that. It is on all of our different platforms, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, wherever you try to find it, it will be there for you. It is a wonderful Facebook. It's a wonderful just little way to kind of keep up with the Tennessee Newswire as so many different things unfold throughout the day. But otherwise, make sure you are following Rocky Top Insider social medias each and every day. We are at Rocky Top Insider on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. Wherever you are, we are there as well. Make sure you are following us each and every day. Make sure you're locked in to rockytopinsider.com. Each and every day. That right there, to my right, that is Ryan Schumpert. He is at rshump00 on Twitter. Right across the table, that is Jack Foster. He is at Jack Foster Media on Twitter. And of course, my name is Rick Butler. You can find me at Rick underscore Butler on Twitter as well. But of course, like we said, make sure you're just staying locked into Rocky Top Insider each and every day. Thank you so much for listening to this February 2nd edition of the RTI Press Pass. We'll see you back for the next one, where we'll be recapping the Tennessee-Auburn game and talking about whatever else is happening in the world of Tennessee football. Man, we got the stories for you. We will see you next time. Thanks so much for listening. For Ryan, for Jack, I'm Rick. You've been listening to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass.